0: Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, joined as always by my co-host, David Roberts. Permission to Be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true, authentic selves. We hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been. welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and tonight is Ladies' Night with myself and Sarah Heath. She is a speaker, a pastor, an author. She is a podcaster as well, and she is a designer. She loves to help people see the potential beauty that already exists in their own lives and spaces. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Oh my goodness,
1: it is such a pleasure, and I am so glad to be part of Ladies' Night.
0: Woo-hoo! We just need some two-for-one drinks we
1: should have two for one drinks. What the heck?
0: <laughs> oh, you can you can say other words on this podcast. It's okay. okay. You know, <laughs> I try not to like
1: I have a shirt that says I love Jesus, but I cuss a little and I feel like that explains me a lot.
0: <laughs> I love that shirt. I have <laughs> seen that shirt. and have several friends who want it's that. So shirt. Good. Yes, I love it. So we start off our podcast with it question about if your life were to Mm -hmm. be made into a major motion picture and any and you could choose anybody to play you or you could play yourself who or whom would you pick? It also could be multiple people of different stages okay. of your life.
1: That's a good question. So I, um I <laughs> that long list of things that I do is like, oh, that just wraps me up into one thing. I mean, they all have joining things. One of the things I have done in the past is act. So I would want to obviously act in my uh, my own movie. However, I used to tell my parents, there used to be a show called uh, Behind the mm-hmm. Music. Yeah. Whenever my parents would make a decision I didn't agree with, I was like, this isn't going to look good on the Behind the Music for you guys. <laughs> um <laughs> Because I always just need there'd be a movie made about me. Um, my answer to this is oftentimes not as much now, but I used to always get that I look like Zoe Deschanel and Katy Perry if they had a child. Oh,
0: I could. Oh, definitely, I could see that.
1: Yes. So I would say one of them, but personality-wise, I often get Tina Fey. So I could like if they could all together join together. And as I'm getting older, I think I'm really more of a Tina Fey these days, <laughs> or like Kristen Bell. Like I don't want. I'm just sort of like unintentionally funny sometimes um, and then also intentionally funny so they kind of the run them way. together I think <laughs> but aesthetically I'm a Zoe Deschanel slash Katy Perry but not with the jet blonde hair although I could I kind of want to try it have you ever gone blonde I have uh, I had there was an incident in when I was 21 <laughs> um, my 40 sister I was going to cosmetology school and I just got braces and she was like when can you ever do it again and so she dyed my hair jet blonde and it was fun And I I had blonde, like really blonde for a while. Yeah. And then I was like super tanned. So like pictures of me, my senior year of college confuse all my current friends. They're like, what was happening? (laughs) It's like, it it was a stage. It was a phase.
0: (laughs) Oh, mercy. My husband one time did that as well during college, except it didn't go so well. And somehow it turned green.
1: Oh, yeah. I did that to my brother. That was like a frosted tip phase that like I tried to like try out on him and. My brother's an engineer and he is such a cutie, but he is just not, not edgy. I would say not edgy. And so I was like, you know, you'd look great with frosted tips because everyone would look great with frosted tips. And one time it looked great. The first time I did it, it looked great. Then he came back for a second round and it was like orange, orange. Yeah. It wasn't good. I know. And he still loves me. So you never know.
0: (laughs) There you here, go. So, speaking of brothers and family, so you are originally from the Great North.
1: I am. My home and native land is Canada,
0: <laughs> but you moved to the South. I did. So what took your family to the south? Because that is, that's a big, I would guess, culture shock.
1: Um, Yeah, a little bit. So I grew up in northern Ontario, about an hour and a half north of Toronto. Yeah. And then we moved to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, um, because my father is a physician who's particularly passionate about serving smaller communities, particularly mm-hmm. uh, rural poor mm-hmm. or, you know, little towns. He's just kind of a town doctor. Um, yeah. So we ended up we were being recruited a lot at the time to come to the U.S. My dad has a lot of training and, um, mm. we looked all over and I, I laugh now because like, in my mind, I was like, we're moving to America. I've seen <laughs> Saved by the Bell. I know how this is <laughs> going to go. Um... And I started acting when I was five um, for fun. Um, obviously, not to <laughs> make money at five. Or for, I don't know what else it would be for. Um, at five. And so, uh, like, just doing local plays and things like that. And so, okay. by the time I was like 13, I was just really sure that I was going to yeah. be a TV star. Of course. And so, I think I had this mindset that if I moved to the States, how could I not be discovered? Turns out Mississippi is not. The hotbed of Hollywood, I know. It's shocking. A very shot. Very. Although they are filming a lot of things in New Orleans now, which is so close to where you know that was. And actually, mm-hmm. the funny part is, I have a lot of friends who are actors, and uh, several of them are from Mississippi. So. That's hilarious. There definitely is that there, but I think it wasn't as quick of a of a stream as I thought it would be. It's funny now because I actually through mutual friends and just I don't know how God is weird. And so one of my friends is actually married to Tiffany Amber, oh. so I get to talk to Kelly Kapowski, and I actually told her like I need you to know that you are all I knew about America. <laughs> and so when I got here, I started dating a football player, and I really like. Check it out for those boxes. I live the life, right? Uh, not knowing, like, I just didn't know much about American culture. And I didn't actually think it was real. And then you move to Mississippi, and there really is like homecoming and like all those things. And then I went to college and undergrad in Mississippi. And so I did like the sorority oh thing. God. I really like embraced my American culture. Yeah. It, and it's been really weird. I think my entire life I felt like an insider and an outsider. Because even in the small town we grew up yeah. in in Canada, my parents are from, um, my mom's British, my dad's Canadian. But they're from Toronto. So they're city folk who are living in the country. And so we never were like, from wherever we've been, we've never been from there. And so I think that's been a big part of my story is just never fitting in and Mm. the yes and kind of person. So like, even though I was a sorority girl, I listened to a lot of punk rock and went to punk rock shows and but like looked like a sorority girl. And so it was just sort of this always fitting in by never fitting in. um, is Mm. kind of in my story. So yeah, that you asked how we got there. That was how we got there. And Mm. why I was okay with it for a while is that I really was like, I've seen TV. I know how America goes.
0: (laughs) Well, the perception, this false perception that it gives the rest of the world and for a lot of us inside, it gives us a false perception of what America
1: is. Right. And I think like I'm really glad Instagram didn't exist back then. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say.
0: Is there some VHSs of your sorority days somewhere?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they are. I, um,
0: or maybe not yours. I'm VHS, probably a little older. So I don't know. Well, no,
1: I think we like, I think we were just like cusping on the DVD season. I definitely, there, I was on the dance team or I danced in several dances for my sorority. Okay. And I know those are out there somewhere just waiting for me to run for office. So <laughs>
0: they're just,
1: they're not good. Up. It's not good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you talked about feeling like an outsider. Or yeah. kind of feeling outside and inside for most of your life. And I'd love for you to talk about how that plays into your latest project that you've released earlier this year, yeah. the 21 Day Authenticity Challenge. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Uh, well, it's kind of funny because that actually came out of the podcast that I did. So I did a podcast for a year called Sondra mm-hmm. Lust. Sonder is the word, which means so. Sonder is the idea that everybody's living a different life. Sonder lust is like, and I want to live it. Um, So I, I realized even from a younger age, I spent a lot of time just because of being a pastor, because of being all these different things, just sort of, I've had a lot of opportunity to observe other people. And my life hasn't turned out the way that I thought it would in any way, shape or form. And so I found myself sort of in this position of like, what am I going to be and who am I going to be? And then as I moved into my late thirties and was trying to think about like, Hey, this is weird. I took on this challenge to kind of do anything that I could do to change four areas of my life that my best friend threatened um, to move me if I didn't change, which was like an incredible year. But what was interesting is that the publisher that I worked with before for my first book said, like, we want to make something out of this? Because there was a lot of, like, a lot of folks just started really digging into the story. And it's been really interesting to me to, like, meet people all over the country. Or, and people will be like, oh my gosh, you are the girl from that podcast. And, like, I don't know whether to feel like joy or like embarrassment. But, um, like, yeah, that's me living up my public pain. You're welcome. Um, but it became sort of an interesting thing because everywhere, every expert I talked to everywhere that I was willing to go and like in my life, it over and over again came to like, until you get like radically authentic with yourself, with others um, and the world that you just really aren't going to be able to find contentment. Cause what really, what the truth is, is like, all of us are searching for contentment. I think we use this word like Mm. happiness or this thing as if it's something far away. But Mm. so, yeah, I think because I felt and continue to feel it didn't, it definitely didn't like end all of that. But I find when I'm doing these 21 practices, I really do feel more connected to myself and to community. Which isn't always easy for yeah. me to do as someone who is in leadership, as someone who, um, yeah, I, I can feel this like sense of separation from people. And so, yeah, it's been a, a, an interesting year. And then they asked me to write a 21 day challenge. And so my first chapter is about how 21 days doesn't change you. But it does start the thing. Um, you know, they, they've done lots of studies to say that what the guy was saying is like at a minimum 21 days is the first time you'll start to notice change. Yeah. But we're like 21 days is all you need. <laughs> yeah, we grab onto the smallest, right? Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea is like I want other people to feel totally rooted in their own lives, authentic with who they are. And I know that's a buzzword lately and a lot of people talk about it, but that's what I see most in my work that I do. I just see people who are just so kind of trapped in this idea of what they should be or who they should be. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the feeling outside of things was always attempting to become a part of something that I didn't necessarily belong to. And I think that's sort of been my journey, but I don't think it's unique. I think a lot of people, whether, you know, friends, I have friends yeah. who are like, you know, I never was a mom, but my friends are, who are moms will be like, man, the mommy club is a thing that you like, mommy shame is real. And we'll talk about like what that's like and trying mm-hmm. to fit into that. And then, well, if you don't, you know, stay home, then there's this whole other, you know, world of me or yeah, whatever it might be. Yeah. I think we all kind of have this sense of feeling outside sometimes of our own lives. And so I think that's just a, it's a common feeling, this sonder, you know, this lust of other lives.
0: I completely agree. And part of me wonders where that stems from because I don't think that's a new thing. No. I think it just looks different in every generation and every society.
1: And so I think, I think that it comes from marketing. <laughs> like if I don't tell you, you have a problem that you, I need, I can fix. If you don't, if you're not aware, you have a problem, then you're, you're not someone who's going to buy something to try to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't just blame marketing. My friends are marketers. Um, <laughs> it has been interesting to me as I've, I've learned from them and taking some courses and it with just the intent of understanding is this idea of like, we're going to make you see that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I didn't know I had you know, a problem with whatever it might be, but this, this commercial and, you know, the hard part of it is like social media now is commercials. Oh, yeah, um, And it's, you know, I, I, I I'm actually a brand ambassador for some things, which simply means like in my personal photos to take a picture with a thing. Right. Yep. And not like where I'm paid a lot or anything like that. We're <laughs> just like, like cool t-shirts
0: not um, rolling in the big box.
1: No, not. Look at my one bedroom apartment. Um, <laughs> But I'm in California, so I'm basically rich. Uh, <laughs> I think there is this sense of I think it has always been there, but I don't I don't think it's ever been as much of an epidemic as it is right now because we we can convince ourselves that we're seeing behind the the closed door now with Instagram mm-hmm. with uh, you know TikTok with all these things people are seeing what they think is a non-curated space that is actually curated. And I know that because I curated mm. myself, right? I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about, oh, yeah. you know, content versus like, you know, and, and you feel awkward when someone doesn't do that, when someone just like puts out there something that hasn't been processed, you're like, whoa, yeah. like, let's put a filter on that um, in every way, shape and form. And so I think there is this newness to the urgency with which we feel disconnected from the life that we want, Mm. right? I think that that's, and the secret in so many ways to all of this, I think is yes, to push for your goals and to believe in something bigger for yourself, but also to be like really grateful for where you're at. Yeah. And I know it's like, it seems so ridiculously basic and yet it's the thing that again and again, I find people don't take the time to do right and so yeah there's just all this stuff around gratefulness that happens in our brain and all that sort of stuff and that's really the authenticity challenge really is about like knowing what you are and being grateful for those parts and you're not going to get there you know right away in 21 days is not enough yeah. but I think that's kind of even meditation and all of those things are really trying to get us to that place right mm-hmm. of like real rootedness because there's yeah. nothing like a non-anxious presence to ruin marketing right they're like yeah
0: I- <laughs> So something interesting happens for me personally when you bring up gratefulness, um, being raised the daughter of a campus minister and being raised a as a um, Southern Baptist fully indoctrinated child. Gratefulness, and I, and I love meditation, so don't hear me say that, but the way the personal trigger that it creates in me yeah, yeah, yeah. is one of unworthiness. And so I feel like almost for those of us who might have grown up in a more fundamental or evangelical space, gratefulness even has a negative connotation. Yeah, it
1: can't be. That's, that's great. Uh, actually, I was just at a conference last weekend where Diane Butler Bass talked about her book, Grateful. And somebody was like, that's great for people aren't in the margins. And she was like, I 100% hear you. I'm not talking about gratefulness as like, a what did she call it? It basically like as a self care thing that you think of, like, I'm gonna, you know, think Mm -hmm. of whatever, or trying to like, smooth over reality, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's over it That's a really good way to put it. That's not what you're doing. Like real gratefulness practice should have a different name because it's Mm -hmm. not, not that you should be grateful. Like I can almost hear that voice. You know what I mean? That voice is like, you're lucky because, or, you know, particularly if you come from a background, like a Southern Baptist background or some sort of background where your truest identity of yourself was that you are broken Mm -hmm. and no one could accept or love you. If your first thing is like, the fallenness of humanity how the heck like being grateful is just like thank you for letting me the the absolute worm turd of the world live mm. you know and that's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. that is not what i would ever want mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. um have people start as a base you know even the the church that i work at the language that we use is like we're just asking you to return to a reality oh and the yeah, reality is you are loved. You're already loved by God. In this space, there's nothing you can do oh. more. You're done. Like, stop striving. You you reached it. Now we can talk about practices that like, you know, help us feel wholer and healed and all these things. Now again, the the very base reality of who we are in, in our understanding of people is like you're already loved by God. Mm. Done. So we're not striving for that. We're not working out our salvation. Mm. We're not. But what does it mean to participate in this world in a way that um, recognizes that reality in other people mm-hmm. and how can we help the belovedness of other mm-hmm. people shine. So I think that's the, you got to, you know, Bible verse, and you know, I don't always quote, but I'm the worst <laughs> pastor. I'm like literally the sinister minister. My aunt was like, I don't understand how you can be a reverend when you're a reverend. But the Bible verse I think of is like, you have to love the Lord, your God, you know, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't, love yourself good luck loving your neighbor right right um and that is it. i think we've been given this like cheap self-care idea like self-love stuff like go take a bubble bath but like that although sometimes girl just needs a bubble bath oh, But like, yes oh, yeah. there is this reality of like there is privilege and even being mm-hmm. able to talk about self-care right yeah um, privilege in talking about gratefulness but even mm-hmm. my friends to whom are on extreme margins the ones that are living in Contentment and non anxiousness really are the ones who say, Yes, in this moment,
0: mm-hmm. this is. Mm-hmm.
1: And yet, I have the audacity to have hope in and be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have been my teachers in this practice in some ways. And I'm like, today, I'd, I had a, cr- I mean, the day I have had, <laughs> um, and yet, and I miss both of my, so twice a day, I have an alarm that goes off and reminds me to write things that I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm which sounds ridiculous. But when your life is like coming at you, like, a you know, drinking out of a fire hydrant hose or whatever, my dad has a saying, I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to like slow down enough to do that. But that's interesting. When I miss that, I actually get more anxious Mm. because I'm not like present. Like my dog is the coolest and cutest thing in the world, but I will drag him around on a walk because my gosh, I have to get to the next thing. How can you take so Mm -hmm. long to pee versus laughing at this silly dog that like, takes his time to like sniff everything and maybe I could learn something from him and maybe I've got too much on my plate. So it's, it, it's a real uh, balance, I think. And I think who am I is always the question, right? And so I think writing this book for me was actually a lot of fun and a challenge. You know, I laugh. I redid the intro like three times because I'm like writing a book on authenticity. And like, meanwhile, I'm like, I hope I get this right. Yeah. And at the time I was uh, dating a guy who's not a person of, he didn't grow up as a person of faith. <laughs> um, He's agnostic like you do. After going through like all these challenges on this podcast I end up for a little while we're not together anymore but he's such a great human such a great human and him and I were um one night I was working on this intro and he's like sitting on the couch he's like are we going yet so he's a fireman like so like my world is so weird to him (laughs) can we go now I was like no I have to like get this right he's like aren't you working on a book about authenticity like yeah he's like so why does it have to be right and I was like you are completely right (laughs) and then I just admitted it like yeah there I am again like I really want people to like me I want them to think I'm smart I want them to think I'm great but also like quirky and fun and like all these things and it's like man having to try to control how other people react to me is rough and so I think there's this like giftedness and going okay maybe you're a just like write the thing turn it in we'll see how it goes
0: so I'm curious If that same perception of yourself, do you feel
1: that way when you're preaching or talking on Sunday mornings? Oh, yeah. I, you know, It's interesting. I'm in an interesting season for that because I'm currently at a church that's mostly folks who are deconstructed just because of all the work I've done. Actually, how we met through, uh, we took a class together on uh, kind of making your mark or like doing a, doing the thing. And my dear friends, dear, dear friends ran it. And I actually didn't even get to finish the course because I was so overloaded with work. But my uh, friend, Mike McCarg, who has a podcast called The Letter Distance. So I had been on that enough times that people who are kind of in that deconstruction process of their faith or reconstructing or whatever it might be show up. Um, I also have a lot of elderly people who were already part of the church community when I was asked to restart it. It's a very diverse in lots of different ways community. And so I do, I sit there and I I have to sort of remind myself constantly that I can only do the thing that I can do. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't heal all of the hurt in the room. In fact, my friend Mike did come and preach one time and he was like, I have spoken at so many events and this was the hardest room Mm. because I know there's so much pain out there and it is true you know we have so many like former pastors we have like there's just a room full of people and their stories are diverse and varied and all this that kind of thing and you're trying to like tell a joke or whatever and it's you know there's so there's all this stuff that like does weigh weigh in Mm. what keeps you going I think for me the it's funny uh, on Sundays when I see people who they would never, the algorithms would never have them together in any other way. Mm. There's like no reason. Like when I describe the room that is our room, I just think I don't always know about this, you know, Christianity thing, even though I'm a pastor there. Like, like is it Tuesday? Because I have a lot of doubts on Tuesday. Um, you know, is it like all these sort of things? Like I, I don't always know, but then I come to this space and I live in a place where people could literally like the gym they go to, the grocery store they shop at is completely possible for people to never be around people that are different than them. Mm. And I think this is how we got to such a bipartisan state in our country. Honestly, yeah. I think people are never around people who are pushing them yeah. right beyond their yeah. their algorithm. Right. And there's actually like, again, it all comes back to marketing. Maybe marketing is evil, <laughs> but there is this, this thing that happens on church where at church where like people who never would have chosen each other are together. Mm-hmm. And I think that keeps me going because I look at that and I think there's hope for healing. When people have a different experience than they expect by being with these people that they would have never chosen for themselves. So yeah, that keeps me going. Mm. Honestly, I love it. Mm. Like after I see a group of people together that, you know, I I love the show Queer Eye because I think it does that in such a great way. The gospel, ever right? People who never, and you know, it's interesting because that's watched by progressives and conservatives. So that really, yeah, yeah, it's a space that
0: I guess I can see that. But my own bias is what makes me think that it's not as much as conservatives would watch. Yeah,
1: yeah, because they see themselves, Mm. right? There are there are people there that you know, and they never. The thing is, they never shame or blame. No, they they just have honest conversation, and I think that's kind of where Mm. I find hope. Is that could we move our boundaries? You know, the reason that I even redo church spaces and things like that is because even though sometimes I think we've done a lot of damage, I think we got us here in a lot of ways. I also think we could be part of what could mm. bring us back together when and back together is such a because I don't long for a time in the past when yep. church was the center yep. of the community. But I do long for a time when, the, you know, a, a future where potentially could be a place where people do get to mm. encounter the other in a way that is different. Mm. And uh, yeah. So I think that it's interesting to me that a lot of the spaces that are broken down most like falling apart are the, you know, the open and inclusive communities are often like in the mm-hmm. urban settings, right? The churches that are doing the most like work, if you will, in their cities are often with the lowest uh, budget for right? branding and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And yet they, they, they exist. And I think more people would be a part of the movement of whatever it might be, however you might feel about it. You know, we have people at our church who are like, yeah, I don't really believe in yeah. God. I'm like, okay, great. But I just really think I'm supposed to be here. Great. You know, and, and not because I have watered the message down so much. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always a critique for people when they discover that folks who are outside of the faith are part of the community. But I think because they find that this is a place where they can find hope in Christianity and other Christians that they, coming from the outside, mm-hmm. haven't seen in, in a different way. And sometimes it goes great and sometimes it wears you yeah. out, but it is what it is. You know,
0: I am able to be a part of a spiritual community here in Charlotte. And very similar as far as we have atheists, we have agnostics, we have Catholics, we have everybody. I mean, the whole gamut and it's very much, it's just, it's an open space to be, just simply to be and, and ask questions. And nobody is going to shame you for asking a question. It's a space that creates new freedoms that people have not known inside um, what would be deemed a church space.
1: And it's interesting too, because I have been studying a lot of... Uh... I kind of went back to reading some old, uh, older Richard Rohr stuff about two, you know, falling upwards about the idea of like yes. two halves yes. of life. Yeah. And sometimes we need the first half to be healthy. We actually do need both the first half to be healthy so that we can move beyond, but also for we actually need to have experienced the first half mm-hmm. as well. And so we need some of the boxes that we want to mm-hmm. blow up. Mm-hmm. Because there is this sense of like grounding and rootedness and safety that we then can climb outside Mm. of the box. And so I've been finding a lot of like interesting conversation and like the idea of we don't have a lot of places where there's a mentorship or apprenticeship happening, right? Like the world uh, is very much like everybody's hustling, trying to make it. There's not, nobody has been in this world before in this way. In the same way, the digital age is very different and people can't really mentor you in it. And and we find that with church leaders. Like a lot of my bosses are like, I don't know. I'm just going to admit it to you there. I don't know you do it better than me. So I can't really mentor you in this. Oh, um, and it's a painful place, yeah. right? It's like, oh, but I also know that when I am around the folks at my church who are older, like we're talking like significantly mm-hmm. older, there is this beautiful thing where I stop and go, oh, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. The chapter I'm in right now is not my whole mm-hmm. book because I think I get so, especially where I live and, and youth is so... And and a lot of churches are this way, honestly. Youth is so, like, worshipped, you know, and as we move beyond that in some ways, if we don't have this idea of maturation or this idea of, like, oh, no, the cool thing is is that I get to move beyond – you know, there is some stuff beyond this, right? And that's the gifting too of older folks. So I love the idea of people in your community being from all different groups kind of, and it's not just an age thing. I also think there's just different ways that we kind of kind of a mentorship or apprenticeship or like kind of an eldership that happens when we bring people of varying experiences together. There's a church here that's like super sexy. Oh my gosh, everyone's 24 and they've been 24 for 10 years. Like every time I go to this church, I'm like, do you just like kick people out? Like, I don't know how this happens you're all very sexy though you know and i think there's this like where are your elders and i don't just mean age-wise but like man like that's just part of the story and you're missing out but if you meet someone who like yeah i used to be a christian and then this happened And, and if you don't know those people if you don't challenge yourself with those people you're really kind of just sitting in your algorithms hearing like Those people are crazy or, you know, there's no ability to grow or stretch. Well,
0: yeah. And that's something that recently I started um, working at not the church I go to, but a different church. And we have volunteers in the office who are older. And I realized how much I struggle with ageism and making assumptions about the older generation And have had some amazing conversations. And what's funny is after I was hired, one of the older gentlemen told me, he's like, I went and talked to Russ, who is one of the co-pastors. He said, I went and asked him if you were our type of people. And what he meant by that was, was I progressive and open and justice minded and all inclusive and accepting. And this is a 76 year old white male. And I will say in the last year, I have written most white males off on various levels.
1: I don't know why. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: yeah. I... And this, and this, then we have two ladies who are also in their lady, later 70s that volunteer in the office. And I'm just blown away with who they are, uh, with all the assumptions that I have made in the last 10 Mm -hmm. years. I think I grew up in a conservative environment and grew up with older people in the church who were fairly stringent in their beliefs. And now at 42, working in an office with people 30 plus years older than me and those are not the people who are in that office. They're not. No. They're. They are some of the most open-minded, loving. Have got fight left in them. It's just
1: not- that's something I think that really bothers me in sort of all well, America in mm-hmm. general, uh, Western culture. I think maybe a little mm-hmm. bit is this idea that we forget people. I remember this woman who worked in my office uh, when I was first a pastor, and she said something to me so painfully that I knew that it was coming from a deep mm-hmm. place she was probably at that time in her fifties, starting in her fifties. And she said, and she was just, you could, she's a knockout, Mm -hmm. but you know, uh, she said, it has been so hard to become invisible. Mm -hmm. And she said, you um, are a spark plug, you're dynamite. And she said, but one day you will become invisible. And I was like, whoa, but I realized in this culture here, especially in Southern California, if you don't fit a a certain mold, you are invisible. Mm -hmm. And I think we we kind of have, we keep pushing that. You know, we keep saying yeah. uh, to be this age is is the age, to be this, to be that. And again, it's that marketing perspective. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we were living in sort of more communal situations, we we had our grandmothers around us. We had people around us who were this older and could sort of like give us an example of what that looks like to age in a different way. And so I'm hopeful in those moments when I see ages interacting and, and then when it's different than people think. Um, Mm. and I also think there's this, like, mutual apprenticeship that can happen where like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, the intern. So but it's been a long time. It's so good. Uh, it is this guy who his wife passes away and he decides to apply for an internship, not realizing it was meant for kids in college and they hire him. And he's been this multi-million dollar businessman and he comes in in a suit. It's a tech startup. Mm-hmm. And it is this beautiful story where he is Mentoring and being mentored, yeah. and it really is this just lovely reparenting story and family story, and like finding your people, and it, this is like beautiful thing. And I think that to me takes me out of my anxious moments of like I have to figure it all out, right? you know.
0: Ugh. Especially in the last couple of years, everything feels unstable. I think there's just uh-huh. across especially in the United States everything we're looking for that little bit of something that little bit of hope and I think it like what you, it's found a community in community and learning from others
1: it is and it's also like the we can't idealize the past either right we can't say like oh that was when you know and so it's an interesting like I say yeah. there has to be a both end I think also it's important for older people to, you know, if we look at like Brexit or some other things, uh, when older folks aren't taking into account the younger folk, same thing happens. It's this really interesting way that the digital age has broken people into different categories, you know? So, what does it look like to sort of speak all the languages? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to think about. But I, I do, I think about it a lot. And then I'm given the most hope when I like bring it down to like a smaller, Hey, like what's already in this space here and how can we know each other? Like I did a series at my church when I first got there about the all six living generations that are more mm-hmm. alive and, and in that room. And I talked about the different, we played even the music that had to do with that generation. Yeah, yeah. Use the words that like, you know, apply. And, and we said, you know, these are like, you don't have to be this age to be this generation in some ways, but it was really interesting. Cause it started conversations with some of the folks who have known each other forever. And then they were like, wait a minute, that happened to you during Vietnam. What? They didn't even know that about each other. This wealth of wisdom and knowledge is like in the room. And we don't even know it because we're not having those kind of like, hey, let's talk about it conversations. You know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful space when we can open ourselves up to that. But again, I think it comes from being comfortable with ourselves, like not being afraid of, yeah, like not being afraid of being seen so that the other can be seen as well, you know?
0: that That is... I think that's really scary for a lot of people to be seen because I mean, that's a level of vulnerability that it feels like it makes your life very fragile.
1: Oh yeah. Because now your words can't just hurt the thing I've curated of myself. Um, I think about like, I actually think this is a a really healthy practice that some celebrities have had like uh, lady Gaga, for instance Mm -hmm. Uh, she has lady Gaga, right? Well there's lady Gaga and then there's Stephanie. Mm -hmm. And when you critique or write a bad thing about lady Gaga, Stephanie's safe. Mm. And I remember someone was interviewing at one point she was engaged to this guy and they said, what's it like to be engaged to Lady Gaga? And he was like, I have no idea. Mm. I'm engaged to Stephanie. (laughs) Like, I don't, he's like, I don't date Lady Gaga. Like she's great. She's a great performer, but that's just like a part of her. And she does keep that a little bit compartmentalized. It's not like she's wearing like meat suits at home, you know, like that's just like, and I think the reality is sometimes we have done that in the world.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: Particularly women, since it's ladies' night, we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have built these personas yeah. really strong because it is darn scary sometimes. Oh, this is and very scary. we right and we and we can't admit that, we can't it's hard to like hold on to that. And so, you know, I was just thinking about my brother who is an incredible human. I, you know, even though I dyed his hair, he's great. <laughs> We had this like difficult conversation recently. And it was because he kept asking, I asked, uh, you know, he asked me a question, then I'd answer it. And uh, he would say, well, how do you know? And he kept asking me that. And they were little things. We were hiking yeah. together. So it was like, yeah. I said, the sun's come up. How do you know? Because I was just outside. And then it kind of like, got, it escalated, uh, right? Yeah. Like, this person's up. Well, how do you know? I just saw them. And then I was like, can you stop? Like second guessing everything I say, and he said, "Well, then stop just saying things you don't know." And I lost it. And I was hiking. Yeah. By the way, I think my brother's an Enneagram Five, but he's never done the <laughs> study. But um, <laughs> he's just so smart, and like knowledge is so important for him, and it was like so key. And so I'm hiking along, and all of a sudden I realized I was like, "Oh, we're not having a fight about that." He's what he said isn't really that big of a deal. And do I even care if he knows whether or not the sun's mm-hmm. up? No. Oh. But what I realized is like, I needed to go to him and say, Jonathan, as an unpartnered human, so someone who's single and doesn't come home to someone who's like, you're great or like base level, I still think you're fine. Mm -hmm. My life as a female leader is nothing I ever say is just taken. Uh, Right? Like it's always put through a, well, you know, and especially because even though I am older, People think I'm younger than I am because I don't have kids or the marriage or the thing that people use to make markers of age. Yeah. And in some ways, that's advantageous because, I, you know, whatever. But it is also one of the things those are the things that it weirdly within our culture give you legitimacy. And so whether I know it or not. And I don't think I even know that it's happening. It's the micro-aggressions, right? And it adds up. And eventually I said, no, Jonathan, no one just ever takes what I say at face value, ever. Mm -hmm. You know, even when I preach, maybe, when I speak at big events, maybe, but also they have this thing in their pocket, they can look up anything I say. So I said, you know, can you imagine... Uh, six-foot-tall white man, you know, with a very deep voice. Can you imagine, like, going into a room and people assuming you don't know what you're talking about all the time mm. or commenting on your looks all the time, which is, like, yes. you know, I've gotten used to that, and I kind of, like, enjoy that. But I always, in the back of my mind, have that reminder of, like, one day you'll be invisible, and then they're really not going to listen to you. Uh, you know, and I, I think there's this, like, reality to it's hard to be vulnerable. Oh, yeah. So we build a, like, I know – so I, like – sometimes uh, in my past realize I led with my credentials. Yeah, I am a, you know, Duke trained mm-hmm. sort of stuff, which like comes off, not as who I am, but I had to do that to be able to be in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you make it through. Yeah. The permission to be, you know, it's like, I, one of the questions you asked me is like, who gave you permission to be? And I'm like, ah, I think I'm always trying to figure that out. Right. Like, and I think at the base level, it's just like trying to f- get that permission for myself because I'm not going to, get it from other people. And I have friends who for sure are like my biggest supports and cheerleaders and all that, but, you know, they have their own lives and can't be invested in mine in the way that like, you know, I can be invested in mine. And so, yeah, that was a long answer.
0: That's a great answer. So a clergy person, why be a pastor?
1: That's a question I ask myself every day. (laughs) Like why? Uh, I don't, again, I think it's that I have that ridiculous hope in community. I tend to end up in places unintentionally. And I'm working on figuring that out. But like, I'll be like, no, I don't want to lead this. I'm not going to lead this. I'm just going to be in this. And then people will be like, you should lead this. And so I kind of, I never wanted to be a lead pastor. This was never my dream. Oh, Lord, no. I wanted weekends. I haven't had a weekend in 15 years. I mean, you know, and sometimes like the resentment that I didn't realize until like lately, I've been doing that work around that. It's like, ugh, oh, you feel that. You feel that deeper than your willing to like dive into, but I think for me, it kind of like they needed, you know, I was a college pastor, a youth and college pastor. And then they were like, Hey, we need this new service. And they love when you preach, can you start a new service? So I started a new service and then that's it. And then the Bishop came and said, Hey, we need a, a, a campus minister. I said, I don't want to be a lead pastor. He said, no, 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 you're just going to be the campus pastor. So you're just going to mm-hmm. preach and then you're only going to do the stuff that has to do with like mission trip stuff. And you love that stuff. And I was like, sure. It turns out like once I got there, like I, had to do a lot of the lead pastor stuff and everyone's identity, understanding of you changed. And I wasn't prepared for that. That's one thing I was not prepared for. I didn't know that I would become inhuman. Uh, no one told me that. Like I had no understanding that once I shifted from like, it was okay for me to be a youth and college pastor, but as soon as I became the lead voice from the stage, uh-huh. like it is a whole different ballgame. And that happened for me about seven years ago. And so I'm still like processing like, Oh, like I kind of left a lot of me back there, not in, not because anyone like takes it from you, but because no. you're like, go, 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 go. I got to do this thing. And you don't realize that everybody's pain gets thrown on you. And um, as an uh, empath person, I'm like, I will yeah. take it. Um, everyone's hopes, dreams, pain in a way that no one, there's no other profession. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, so why am I still a clergy member? Um, I'm working on that. I... Every Sunday when I go, I'm like, this is why I'm still a clergy member (laughs) because for whatever reason, uh, God has me, the divine has me in spaces and places where a lot of other people's voices can't be heard. And so I stand at a table that a lot of people don't get to stand at. And so I feel like there's that. But I, yeah, this was like the bishop asked me to come do a restart and it has done really well, but it's been like, it's taken a lot out of me. Um, And I love it. But like the sheep bite, man, ooh, they bite. And Mm -hmm. the sheep that I feel very like the marginalized people who I love so much. There's so much pain there and you can't, you take a wrong step and it just, becomes like a you're, you know all the rage that you, they didn't even know they were carrying comes your way and then there's all the expectation you know like grow, grow grow and this is what growth looks like and and then there's the financial piece it's just it's everything and so I think for me I think it's a seasonal thing for me I don't think I'll be a pastor forever in fact I think it's waning the moon is waning a little bit um, but I'm so glad I've been here and done it um, and I, I think I will always be resourcing the church. I think I will always be cheerleading for the church. I have no I you know, and I, you know, that's a weird thing to say as a United Methodist clergy member. Like I don't think this is a forever gig for me, but I really don't. I think there's ways and places and spaces and things that I can be a pastor in a different setting. I think a local pastor has been just such a gift to like get to do life with people. But I don't know if I just need to put a pause on it for a little while and a year or two or whatever, whatever longer I have here at this community. But I think, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to I think people stay in the fight too long. I think people stay as pastors longer than they maybe have been called into it because I don't know that it's always a vocation of life to be like the lead pastor, you know?
0: You just said it's a weird thing to say that it may not be your forever gig. And that is such an interesting statement because that's an assumption that non-clergy people make is that the lead pastor is that's their forever gig. And that's an assumption that we put upon clergy. It definitely is. And I don't, know where that started and I think that needs to be taken a look at
1: well I think people have made the job themselves too um I had a a moment where someone was like Sarah like who is Sarah and it was like one of those like not you Goodwill hunting moments like (laughs) who is Sarah uh, apart from Pastor Sarah and I was like I don't even know anymore and I'm just like crying I'm like "I I don't know anymore and I have been doing all this work of getting to the heart of me and, and being able to name and label some of the things that really are me and bring me joy and bring me like, you know, and I'm not different than so many people. And I think once you put that clergy thing in front, I also realize what a privilege it is for me to be clergy. I am so blessed that I went through the ordination process with, without a hitch. I'm, I get to be on the other side of some of the conversations I get to do. And I I don't want to negate that by saying, I don't know that this will be me forever. Yeah. But I want to be honest about the fact that like it is a difficult path to tread in a different way than other people are doing it. And mm-hmm. it has been, you know, I, I went to a party and I had friends who uh, were talking about how another clergy member took Sabbath and they're like, that must be nice. And this is a good friend of mine. who's great. He's yeah. a lawyer. He's yeah. like, And he was like, that must be nice, you know, to take a sabbatical. And I looked at him and like out of my out of my person came these words. And this is just not, if you know me, which you don't, but just trust me. Um, I am not, I am like Canadian to my core. I'm not a confrontation person. And I was like, it's like, must be nice. He hasn't had a weekend in 15 years. Mm -hmm. Must be nice. He has a job where all of you have an opinion about how good or bad he is at his job when he goes to any social function. Do I know how good of a lawyer you are? I don't know. I assume you're great. Mm -hmm. And when you're home, are you home? Can you go to a party? And not everyone... Sure, someone might ask you a legal question, but they're not all thinking that you're a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. It is a unique beast, friend. And I like realized when I was... And I hope I didn't say all of that because I kind of went into one of those like blackout. Like, <laughs> yeah. Did I say things? Because like I don't ever get feisty. I left that part and yeah. just cried my whole way home. Mm-hmm. Which has been new for me, by the way, too, as a Canadian to emote. Like I can emote as an actress like all day long. But the minute you ask me to personally emote, I'm like, I'm not comfortable. Also, your emoting <laughs> making me nervous because I want to <laughs> fix it. Fix it, fix it, fix yeah, it. Yeah. But it has been this beautiful thing of me like, recognizing like that's not about them that's about me and how i feel about my job you know and and i think there's a time when you go okay is it there there's so much good to be done and i have so many gifts and graces and some of them I don't have like I am like don't ask me to work like organizing the my denomination requires that the lead pastor be all things to all people we're talking like CEO um, lead inspirer volunteer coordinator um, make sure that you can do all the finances like you do everything you're not given staff to do any of those things oh. and also grow now oh, and so like right you're just constantly letting people down and I think like recognizing within myself, part of the journey has been like, yeah, I'm not good at that. And I want to inspire people to come alongside me to do those things with me. But also the people that tend to come alongside me are people who got really burnt out at their last place. And they don't want to volunteer 100 billion hours to be our Mm -hmm. bookkeeper. So there's this whole thing about like, how do we do church differently, where it's not volunteers are sucked dry. It's not people want to do what they're Mm -hmm. doing. People want to get involved in the things that they're doing. How can we make it more like, you know, it's a GoFundMe experience where it's like, oh, I really believe in that, you know, and and I hope that I don't do it out of obligation, but I do it out of like, ah, this is cool. Like I want to be part of this thing continuing. And I hope we're getting there, but it's, it's a lot, it's a battle. The other thing I think has been such a teaching thing for me is to know like, okay, if I feel this way, how many of my friends are like walking around with 1700 expectations? And nobody's like admitting that they have all these expectations Mm. thrown on them. Part of adulting is part of being a grown up. But it's also like, how can I be aware of the different things I expect from people? Mm. You know, because I think sometimes we just think we don't we think everybody else's life is easier. However, it might be.
0: Yeah. (laughs) A lot of the times we think everybody else's life is easier. I mean, because we live with the mirror two inches from our face a lot of the times. It's especially in a world that, um, like you mentioned earlier, is just a perpetual marketing force of anxiety. And so we're afraid to put down the mirror because we're afraid that we won't have control over what we're seeing
1: or what's mm-hmm. beyond the mirror is going to be too much. And yeah, like it's hard to like put down the idea of expectations on ourselves and expectations of others. And we have a really tough time with people who have fun, who just like, must be nice. But it's like, no, no, like they figured out their gig. Like, and I think sometimes like when I'm having my most, I do have fun at my community. There are like really cool things that happen, but people don't realize the like reality of all the backstory that goes into it. Right. All the like this and that. And there are beautiful moments when we're like, like, it's great. And I always joke like if, and when I'm asked to leave this position or feel like it's time, like I'm going to ask if I can stay here in the community Mm. because I just love the church. Like I love that church because it's the weirdest group of humans, like all the time, I'll be like, I need you guys to look around and be like, what the heck? Look (laughs) at you people. How does this make sense? It doesn't because like, people are always like, what's your algorithm? Like, what are you guys getting for? I'm like, humans. (laughs) They're going for humans.
0: Perfect. So one of the questions we ask towards the end of our talk is, we're always curious. And there's. A lot of different answers depending on where you're at, and I'm curious what this means to you after 15 plus years of being a pastor. And but what does the word salvation mean to you?
1: Oh dear God, uh, that's a big <laughs> one, huh? <laughs> Literally, dear God. I think salvation. I think there's just really interesting shift that's happening for me in the idea of salvation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it used to be like you're saved from hell in the back of my yeah, head, yep, yep. and you're Southern Baptist yeah. in background, so you're like, I get that one. But I think. Salvation for me is is a return to wholeness. Mm-hmm. Salvation is the thing that removes us. And even if it's just for a moment from the thing that we feel like is destroying us, salvation happens all the time and is happening and is around us. It's the joyous moment in the harsh. It's the like, all these salvation to me is it's too cheap to say it's a future thing, right? Like I feel yeah. like it's just, it's around. Mm-hmm. It, it's this idea of the, Yet and not yet. It's the return to wholeness. It's the becoming and being. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm working through it for sure because I I think for so long it was easy to say you're in or out, and that was salvation, right? Oh man, I wish it were that easy, but it's not. Like I think there's this this beauty. So this weekend when I was uh, I was in North Carolina, I was actually flew in and out of your airport, which by the way, has a big poster of Billy Graham. And it says, number one place to visit, talking about the Billy Graham Museum. And I was like, did he give himself that review? Turns out, no, they just used his picture and then had someone else saying that. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's great. That would be like me saying, this is the best church. Everyone should come here. Pastor Sarah. <laughs> but there was, uh, when I was there, uh, there was this choir that came and sang at the church and they're all incarcerated. And they were singing these beautiful songs about salvation, and it meant something different to me. I would never let my church sing those songs because I'd be like, that's penal substitution and blah, 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 and I would get all uppity. But when a man who has been sentenced to 11 years in prison is singing about his chains coming off and the blood of Jesus forgiving him, I go, all right. <laughs> I'll be quiet. Yeah. Now. And so I think salvation looks different. It really does look different. Mm. It's freedom. It's openness. It's laughing when you just want to cry. It's all those things. It's like, I can't really describe it, but I know I can feel it. Mm. I know when I see it. And yeah. I saw it this weekend. Yeah. Oh. By the way, half that congregation, this is in a tiny town in North Carolina, half the congregation is LGBTQIA. And they're like, no way. Pentecostal up in there. We're talking. Uh, trans men who are like worshiping. I mean, it was just the most incredible. I'm like, what is happening? The kingdom has like bust open and like, think- and then like prisoners are singing songs of salvation. And then like grandmothers are holding all these babies that they happen to like uh, foster. Like I get goosebumps talking about it. Wow.
0: That's, that's what church should look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I literally was sitting there going, Every day. I don't know what this is, but I like it.
0: <laughs> I'm like, where's that church? <laughs> oh,
1: that's mm, the ecclesia that's that's that they gathered mm. <laughs> and they just want to love people that's it and that my friend came in town uh to watch me preach and he's a chemistry professor and he just sat with this trans uh woman who was sharing all of her stories of being an electrical engineer and the two of them were just nerding out and i was like punk rocker with a lip ring sitting here talking to this trans woman who's in her probably late 60s and they're like In North Carolina eating barbecue, sitting next to the guy who said it's still 11 years. This makes sense.
0: (laughs) I was like, and we're one big fat red state too. And so that is just Mm an investment too.
1: Mm. Do you know they don't want to do any promotion of their community because they're afraid? I know why. And so they would rather just live this beautiful gospel all or in community. And they are fantastic with their resources and they love people and they spend hours holding foster babies that nobody else wants because they were born addicted Mm. although i literally was like can i just take a child i've always wanted kids turns out that's not how you do it that's actually illegal (laughs) a little bit that's how the system does not work but it was this like thing where i was like oh man every time i want to get cynical Mm. there it is Mm. and these people are caregiving for their community and i wish they could do more broadcasting who they are because I wish more people could experience it. Mm. But the safety is a reality. And I think until people know them one-on-one, you Mm. got to know people. Like Mm. I'm thinking, how are you in this tiny county able to be all these things? And the reality is it took organic being real in your group together, you know? So, yeah, I guess that answers the question of why I still do it. I wish it didn't take everything out of me today, at least. Tomorrow, I'll keep fighting the good fight.
0: (laughs) And maybe you take it stops and then... Maybe it looks a different good fight in different 15 years, you know?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. And it's like this like joy thing that I'm like, man, I'm a joy filled person. And I want to keep being that. And I don't want to get mm. resentful and bitey and like, no, you know. So that's been the fun process.
0: Keep reminding yourself of that.
1: Well, and I think that's why I wrote even about these challenges because I needed them as much as the next person. Mm. And they're like helping me get to a better, but I'm not there. That's the thing about salvation that I think is a problem is when we think it means you get there. Mm. It's an easy fix because then it's just a marketed salvation in it. This will be the thing. The next iPhone, that'll be the one. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no ghost of Steve Jobs. You're going to have another one soon, you know, and then mine's going to stop working because you're still around.
0: <laughs> that's what I was going to say. If mine's running slower, the new one's coming out. So speaking of the 21-Day Authenticity Challenge, how can people or where can they purchase that?
1: Oh, that's an easy one. It's on Amazon.com. Fabulous. Um, Or Cokesbury, but you'll probably only remember Amazon and if you look up my name, you can find a lot of stuff I've written, but you also can find out that my name is the same as two people. You ready? Mm. A woman who is the most famous and prolific writer about cats. I actually found her with my back. Like 200 titles. She's amazing. <laughs> Sarah Heath, you're a hero. The second one you'll find out is that Sarah Palin's maiden name is Sarah oh, Heath.
0: Oh, bless it. Ugh.
1: So, which however you feel about her, there's lots of ways to feel you feel you however you want to feel. But those are the two things. But I'm Sarah Heath, Reverend Sarah Heath, but on most things, it just says Sarah Heath on Amazon. So yeah, the book, uh, What's Your Story that helps people look through their lives. And then the other one, The Authenticity Challenge is on there. And hopefully, I'm kind of working on this idea of I have been going, going, going. So I kind of think I want to start i going to do another podcast. Yeah. I like podcasting. I hate editing. So I just wish that would just happen on its own. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure that out. But uh, we have some ideas of what to do it around. And anytime I mention I'm thinking about doing a podcast, everyone's like, yeah. Because yeah. like this is my last year in my 30s.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the perfect. Yeah.
1: And I'm unmarried and there's basically a movie title about my life. Let's just say that I've accidentally become a nun. And so like, how can I make what I need to like break the streak? (laughs) This is awful. And I was a, I was, I was a sorority girl who dated a lot. And so this has been like a weird iteration of life. I feel like I'm living someone else's. So I think it would be fun to do like something around that, but I don't know what yet. And the vulnerability part of me, like, I don't know if you do this, but whenever I'm like about to do something, The like big shame monster comes in and is like, no, and you're actually the worst. And I feel like that's what's happened in the last couple of weeks. So,
0: yeah. I totally freak out. It's like, I literally it's a physical, it's an embodied reaction to it. Like when something big is about to happen, I'm just like, oh, oh, that just got sucked out of me. Probably by that shame monster. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Well, I'm supposed to do it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Do I feel like throwing up? Should probably do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can find that or revsarahheath.com. You can find everything. Awesome. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. Oh my gosh, you too. We were both so exhausted. Before we hit record, we're both like, this could be a hot train wreck friend. So it didn't go in any super train wreck and we didn't drink a ton of wine, no. which was another option. Yeah. We'll do another one.
0: <laughs> margarita Mondays. Margar- no, Margarita Mondays. Oh, that, that would be fun.
1: Mm, I love Margarita The happiest hour. It'd be good. <laughs> You're a gift. Thank you for chatting with me.
0: Thank you for joining us on Permission to Be. I'm your host, Becca Epley, and thank you to my good friend and co-host, David Roberts. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and you'll never miss an episode. We are available on all the major podcasting platforms. And while you're there, if you would leave us a rating and or review, we are always looking for more and more ways to hear from our listeners. You can find the links for today's guests and the show notes located at BeccaEpley.com. We do hope that you will join us for our next episode.